Welcome back to See Here Feel. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Philip E. Shapiro. Dr. Shapiro is a dermatopathologist and dermatologist in Meriden, Connecticut, who founded Dermatopathology Laboratory of New England. He previously worked at Yale University, and he's affiliated with multiple hospitals in the area, including St. Francis Hospital and Yale New Haven Hospital. He received his medical degree from Albany Medical College and has been in practice for 34 years. He was formerly Director of Dermatopathology at Yale, where I am now, and he has numerous publications and has been a leading voice in dermatopathology throughout his career. His contributions include describing interstitial mycosis fungoides as well as those pseudo-melanocytic nests that can be very pesky irritating, and in worst case scenarios, lead to misdiagnosis. So welcome to Phil. I'm really excited to be talking to you. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. I've known Phil for, I don't know, I guess at least, I guess more than 15 years. Yeah, it's been a while since we worked on that chapter in Lever together a long time ago. Yeah, yeah. So Phil is very thoughtful and very detail-oriented. I think. So it'll be great to hear some of his answers to this stuff. Can you share a small personal anecdote about yourself before we start? One of the highlights of my life was playing tennis on John Newcomb's team at fantasy camp. Oh, wow. And uh, and I was playing terribly in a very important match. And he, who used to be the Australian Davis Cup captain, coached me in the middle of the match because they were allowed to do that. And basically, he changed my emotional intelligence around. I know we might be talking about that a little bit. He changed my framework of thinking. And I came back and won the match. And it helped his team win for the first time in 18 years. And it was one of the highlights, not only of my sports life, but of my life because it made him so happy. And I respect him so much. And I just... This event took place 11 years ago, but I just saw him a couple months ago. And I told him how this was one of the highlights of my life. And he gave me a big hug. And here's a guy who is such an icon in tennis and in Australia. But we just had this human connection where he knew what it meant to me. A nice hug about this great event that happened in my life a long time ago. And it made him really happy to know that he made such a big difference in something that happened in my life. So there's a little non-medical anecdote about my, about my life. That's really cool. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Sure. So yeah, you mentioned emotional intelligence in your story. So can you talk about what emotional intelligence means to you? Sure. And I'm hesitant to give answers on things where I don't consider myself really an expert. And I'm not an expert in emotional intelligence, but I tried to think about this a little bit beforehand. And I, so I went to the literature and I found one definition of emotional intelligence that basically said there are five key elements, self-awareness, self-regulation, motivation, empathy, and social skills. I've got to say, I think in my early life, I think I was doing pretty well in what people consider academic intelligence and pretty poorly in what we now call emotional intelligence. And I think a lot of that has to do with our, our upbringing. We all, we're all influenced by our parents, and my parents taught me a number of wonderful qualities, I think. They focused on education and honesty, and they taught me about music and other things. But they weren't great in teaching me about emotional intelligence issues. And it's something I've had to work on 
for a lot of my life. And I'd say back when I was younger, I'd probably get a D in emotional intelligence. And I think maybe I'd give myself a B at this point. Just becoming aware of it was keeping your eyes open. I think I think people don't start to think about these things until they reach a certain age. I'm even going to give you one example of something that had an influence on me. And I think it's funny, I'm digressing a little bit, how people will do things that might have a big influence on someone else and they're totally unaware of it. So I remember... Yeah. When I was a, it was either a medical student or resident watching Tom Lawley. I don't know if that name rings a bell, but he was a researcher at the NIH and he did some, some seminal work with serum sickness. Mm. And I remember watching him ask questions of colleagues at medical conferences. And he was very respectful. He would ask, even if it might be, if he found some glaring error in what somebody did, he would say something like, did you have the opportunity to do such and such instead of why didn't you do that? And watching people like that helped me grow. And I still try to do it to this day. It's obviously a work in progress, but uh, I think keeping the eyes open and being aware of that uh, helps. You said so many good things with that. First off, if you had a D when you were younger, that you were still ahead of me. (laughs) Because looking back, I feel like I had an F. And I had no idea what emotional intelligence was. I wasn't even on my radar. Anyway, I love the answer you gave because I think if we all could go up me from an F to maybe like a D. (laughs) It's funny when you said the F because I think of you as someone with high emotional intelligence. So it's interesting to hear you say this. I'm a quiet, shy person. So I won't say what's in my head. If I said right away what's in my head, like immediately in a social situation, it would not be good. I think it's good to speak up. That's one thing that bothers me when people don't say what's on their mind. There's a difference between speaking up confrontationally and just speaking up to get better understanding. And I think you need more of the latter. A couple of thoughts about emotional intelligence that I learned when I was older. One was this phrase, you don't need to elevate yourself by putting other people in a ditch. And that phrase I learned decades ago, it really stuck with me because I think I was one of those kinds of people that would put other people in a ditch a little bit more to elevate myself. And it's not only not necessary, it's bad. It makes you look worse. It makes the other person worse. So I've been trying to strive for the other for much of my life. That's one thing I learned growing emotionally intelligent. And another thing I just heard recently, and this gets back to my tennis reference, I'm a big Roger Federer fan. And Federer, by the way, a lot of people may not know this. When he was a teenager, he was a monster on the tennis court. He had very bad behavior. And he realized as he was getting more famous that a lot of people, especially kids, were looking up to him. And he said, he's got to change his attitude. And now you may know how he's turned out. And he's really a model for a public figure. He has a foundation that so far I think has raised about $70 million to help underprivileged kids in Africa and in his home country of Switzerland. And I think the motto of the foundation is, it's nice to be important, but it's more important to be nice. And I love that. The older I get, the more that sticks with me. And personally, I respect someone who's an ordinary person who's nice and is a positive force around them than a physician who might have had great academic accomplishments and contributed to medicine. But if they're not a nice person, that's not as good as the ordinary person who's nice. I'm so with you. I've come to that philosophy that you be kind 
is really number one. It's easier to say when you're older and you're looking back on life than when you're struggling with a lot more pressures and things when you're younger. It's so easy to adopt at a certain stage in life, but something I think is good to strive for. That's something else I learned. One small act of kindness sometimes goes a very long way, has a much bigger effect than people even realize when they're doing it. Do you have any final thoughts? I have a couple of final thoughts. One has to do with communication. There's a lot of miscommunication that happens all the time between family members and coworkers and nations. If we could pay a little bit more attention to how we are communicating and how people are perceiving what we're saying, it would help. And that even translates into dermatopathology. I would urge dermatopathologists to look exactly what they're saying and think what the clinician is perceiving because Sometimes the clinician isn't getting the message that the dermatopathologist thinks that he or she is giving in that report. So be aware of that communication. I know one of the things you wanted me to think about beforehand was work-life balance. Again, I am not an expert at this, but I was thinking about that a little bit. I think it depends on one's situation in life, how much you have control over that. So I'm better at it now because I'm older. I'm in my 60s. It was a lot different for me when I started out academically at Yale and you have pressure to publish etc. And then when I set up my private practice, that was a lot of work. It took a huge amount of work. Now that I'm more settled, it's easier to focus on that non-work aspect of life a little bit more. So some of it's a little bit out of your control. So I don't really have great advice there, but I have always at least tried to do something. When I was at Yale full-time and working really hard, I said, I'm going to go play tennis once a week, no matter what. I need this. I'm still doing that now. Now for me, it's a walk with the dogs in the woods every morning. That for me has made a huge difference in my life. It's just something I love to do. I have the luxury now. But my last comment about this, I really dislike the term work-life balance. I think it should be work, non-work balance. Because to me, work is a part of life. The real question, I think, is how do you balance the work part with the non-work part? And again, it's different for different people. Some people work all the time. Sometimes I've asked myself how happy they really are. I don't know. I haven't talked to them about it a lot. But I think different people need different things. I think people just have to figure out what they need. Yeah, I don't like the term either, work-life balance. Phil, from the outside, at least, to me, it has always seemed like you had a joie de vivre in your work and in your non-work. We are going to continue talking in another episode. Thank you for spending the time. Christine, it was great chatting with you.